Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. Mark 7, 24 through 30, you find the place, amen. Let us read it together in whatever translation you have. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. The Lord planted this passage in my spirit early uh, in the week. I could not get away from it. A number of possible titles rushed down the corridors of my mind. One was engaging withdrawals because this text characterizes and narrates one of the withdrawals of Jesus from the public domain in the Gospel of Mark and the companion synoptic writers Matthew and Luke. Another subject that presented itself for approval was against all odds. Uh, this woman came and the odds were stacked against her. And it was against all odds that her blessing was given. I also thought about getting serious about being blessed. Uh, that was a title that suggested itself to me, getting serious about being blessed. This is a woman who in the text have nowhere else to turn. Nowhere else to go, and she got very serious. She parked her pride at the door, and she got very serious. When you need a blessing, you ain't worried about what the person next to you think. She got very serious about being blessed. And then a title that almost won over was the title, Don't Wait Till You Get Home to Shout. Because Jesus told this woman that her daughter was healed right then and there. But she had to go home before she could witness it for herself. And so sometimes we miss something when we wait till we get home to shout. You don't have to wait till you get home to shout. 
But none of those titles really worn out in terms of how I finally ended up tagging this sermon. Early this morning, as I thought about the mothers who have impacted my life, my grandmother, Mother Lona Mae Stubblefield, creeped into my consciousness early this morning, and I was so happy to interact with her as I thought about her looking over the balcony of glory at her grandson. My grandmother, Lona Mae, was extraordinarily adept at making what I believed as a little boy was the best peach cobbler on the planet. It was not cooked on an electric stove or a gas stove. It was cooked on a wood stove. I can close my eyes right now and see that stove and the little steam rack on the top of it. And we cooked on a wood stove. Grandmother was so adept at cooking, and I love grandmother's peach cobbler. It was a delight. But what I loved about the cobbler was not so much the peaches or the filling, but the crust. It was a crust. It was so good, I could not get enough of the crust. And so early this morning, as I was wrestling with tagging this sermon, I thought about my grandmother, and then I thought about having an interview with this Syrophoenician woman in an imaginary room in glory and asking her, listen, I'm going to preach about you today. What would you call this sermon? And thinking about my grandmother and thinking about that imaginary interview, I thought this subject, don't settle for crumbs when you can have the crust. <laughs> what begins in this text with a woman being willing to settle for crumbs end in her experiencing the crust of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Of the 35 recorded miracles in the gospel, only four directly involved women. And it's interesting that three of these miracles, of the four, involve mothers. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. The raising of the poor widow's son in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. And then this story, the casting of the demon from this child whose mother went to Jesus and was able to move from crumbs to crust. This text records the second of four withdrawals from the region of Galilee by Jesus that's recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. Jesus withdraws for a number of reasons. First of all, he withdraws at this point of time from Capernaum to the area of Tyre Sidon because of the misguided fervor of the people. Many of them wanted to, for the wrong reasons, to make him a king. He also withdrew because of the escalating hostilities and opposition of the Jewish religious leadership. He withdrew as well because there was growing suspicion of Jesus by the civil authorities, Herod and others. And he also withdrew because he needed to spend some personal time with his disciples who he had called alongside of him because of their apparent deafness and dumbness. We meet in this text today a certain woman. 
And I love this movement in the text because her identity is shrouded in anonymity. She is anonymous. And by being anonymous, she ushers a universality in the text because her story can become our story. She could be any woman or she could be any person in need because she represents in this text humanity in its fallen, fractured condition. This woman could have easily qualified to be the poster child for Bad Luck magazine. For she is ostracized and stigmatized on at least three counts. First of all, ostracized and stigmatized because she was a woman in a male-dominated culture. She was also ostracized because culturally in the text, she's identified as a Greek or a Hellenist, and that was not popular in Jewish circles. She was considered a heathen or a pagan from a Jewish point of view. And then she is called Syrophoenician, which means that she hailed from the region of Tyre and Sidon, and there was a certain ethnic and racial slur associated with identifying her as a Syrophoenician woman. This passage is burdensome for so many expositors because we find here a curious meeting and melding of both the humanity of Christ and what some perceive as a harshness of Christ in dealing with this woman. Jesus was weary, the text says, from his ministry, and he desired a rest from the growing strain that had become so much a part of his ministry. And so he withdrew to this region of Tyre and Sidon, and the text we read this morning says he could not be hid. This woman somehow, the text does not tell us how, but she had a desperate need because her child was sick, and she somehow found Jesus. As we look at this text, and we see this woman in the text moving from crumbs to crust, moving from burden to blessing, I had to ask the text the question, how did she do it? First of all, she didn't have to settle because she sought the master. She was driven into the presence of God. Her circumstances compelled her to come to Jesus. People in trouble will find help in a time of need. How many of you in a time of need, not in a time of prosperity, but in a time of need, really discover that he's a rock in a weary land and a shelter in a time of storm? She came because her daughter was ill and tormented by evil spirit, and she had nowhere else to go. Oh, my brothers and sisters, and I know the mothers can relate to me when I say this today, all the things that we do for our children. A mother's love takes her all the way to death's door to satisfy a need for her children. This woman was not going to go back home without an answer. She was not going to go back home without a blessing from the Lord. And she parked pride at the door. She parked arrogance at the door because she needed God to respond to her need. She sought the master. She was driven into the arms of Jesus by the desperation 
of her child. It's a large reason why she didn't have to settle for crumbs and she was able to find and to have the crust. The next movement of the text is she seized the moment. She just didn't seek the master, but she seized the moment. She persisted when faced with resistance. According to the account of this incident in the Gospel of Matthew, when this woman addressed the Lord as the son of David, the Bible says he answered her not a word. She came to the Lord and he met her with his silence. But she would not turn back. I never made the association, but when I read this in the text, it made me think about uh, something that happened earlier in the gospel about four friends. And I never quite saw the parallel, but now I see it. Four friends who brought their friend to Jesus. And they brought their friend to Jesus and got to the place where Jesus was and found themselves stuck in traffic. And rather than go back home because they had come too far, somebody said, listen, if everybody can hold their corner, we'll get our friend and brother to Jesus because they weren't going to go back home. And they got him up to the side of a house and then further up to the top of a roof. And then they said, listen, y'all ready? We're going to tear this roof up and let our friend down who paid for the roof because <laughs> that was roof damage. There was roof damage that day, and I'm always tickled, teased, and taunted, and tantalized in the deck when I look at it and say, who paid for the roof? I have a suspicion because the old hymn said, Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe, and sin has left, sin has left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. She didn't only seek the master, I hope you see it in the text, she seized the moment. Jesus responds to this woman and said that it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. Now on the surface, and this is where some expositors say this is the harshness of Jesus Christ, but there's nothing harsh about Jesus. Because what we lose in translation is that when Jesus says this to the woman, he does not use the word for dog that mean mongrel dog or stray dogs that are prowling through the city streets and the alleys and back parts of the city. Jesus is a God of grace and mercy. And the word he used in the text is a word for the little pet dogs, the little house dogs, the house companions that would be in the house and around the table at supper time. The woman, because she didn't have her pride with her, she did not take offense but she immediately transposed the implications of what Jesus said to her and her humility allowed her to recognize the priority of the Jewish nation in God's salvation plan. She understood that, that he came first to the Jew, but his own people received him not. The bread rightly belonged to the children of Israel. She was on the fringes of the promise. So many people miss their blessings because they can't humble themselves. She said, even the little dogs eat of the crumbs from the master's table. And the image is, in the text is, 
around the table at mealtime. The children are there, and these pet dogs held in high affection are sitting around, and the children are dropping, dropping food from their plates to feed the dogs. See, when Jesus said, even the little dogs eat of the crumbs of the table, it was not a term of derision. He was giving her an opening. Yes, I've come for the lost children of Israel. Yes, I have a primary relationship with the Jew, but through them, all humanity will be saved. And even the little dogs will get some crumbs from the table. And she sees that. She got rid of her pride, her sense of entitlement. So I'll take a crumb. See, sometimes, thank you, Holy Ghost, sometimes if you want to get to the cross, you got to be willing to take a crumb. Some folk want to go from crumb to crust. In fact, let me put it this way. I can appreciate the crust more when I've had to deal with the crumb. Some of us, if we don't have the crust, we ain't going to have anything. But when you get to the point and you can say, Lord, if it's your crumb, I'll take it. I'll take it. If it's your crumb of relationship, if your crumb of financial conditioning, whatever it is, if you choose not to heal me right now, I'll take I'll take what it is. If you choose not to bring my child back from a far country, right? I'll take whatever you give me. She seized the moment. And when you have nowhere else to turn, you'll take a crumb from the master's table. Because his crumbs aren't too bad. But the beauty of this text is that, that when he knows you're willing Because God's way up is down when he knows you're willing to do that. He'll take you to a whole nother level. She seized the moment. She sought the master. But listen, she secured the message. That's the next thing she does. This woman experienced validation without verification. The Lord told her when he realized how serious she was for a blessing and was willing to accept a crumb and not the crust. He says, listen, right now, your daughter is all right. Right then and there, according to the Gospel of Matthew's account of this situation, he said, your daughter is healed right now. Now, the beauty in the text in how she secured the message is she believed it. There was no argumentation. There was no debate. There was no contesting of what the Lord said. She believed what he said. So real was the truth to her that she began acting like it was true. She secured, she anchored the wondrous message of hope that Jesus gave her by faith. And she comes to us and before us as a woman demonstrating great faith and the definition of faith, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I want to make sure you have the application today. When God speaks to you and you want to move from crumb to crust and he tell you it's going to happen, his word tells you it's going to happen, then what you need to do 
is start acting like it. Before the doctor tell you it's all right, start acting like it. Before your problem in your marriage is solved, start acting like it. Before your financial blessing come in, start acting like it. Tell somebody, he may not come when I want him, but he's always. Before that relationship is healed, on your part, you can't control what nobody else does, but on your part, start acting like it. When you don't feel like you have joy, start acting like you have it. When you feel like you had one in place where you lost the joy of thy salvation, get on up anyway on Sunday morning. Put on some clothes and freshen up and start acting like it. She secured the message by faith. She started acting like it had already happened. And this woman secured the message by faith. And even before she saw the result of the blessing, even before she saw the crust, she could still enjoy the crumb. Not only did she secure the message, not only did she seek the master and seize the moment, but she saw the miracle. She saw the miracle. In verse 30, it says, And when she was come to her house, the text says of this woman that it's when she got home that she saw her daughter. It's when she got home that she saw the miracle. Some things we got to wait till we get home to see. You may not see on this journey that child get it all together like you would like them to. But wait. Teddy Roosevelt, the late president, was coming home from an African safari at the same time that a missionary was returning to furlough. He'd been on the mission field for a long time, and they returned to the same city. Teddy Roosevelt was met with ticker tape. He was met with the acclaim of great crowds. And this missionary who had spent his life and sacrificed so much on the mission field, hardly anyone, not even a relative, showed up to greet him at the station. Disillusioned, he began to walk toward home. But God sent an angel to whisper in his ear, you're not home yet. I'm telling you, when we get home, we're going to see the miracle. You may not see it down here, but when you get home. Uh, my grandmother died when I was a little boy. But one day when I get home and I see her again, I'm going to tell her about that peach cobbler. But she's going to look at me and say, boy, I'm so proud of you. Little old boy that grew up on the hills of West Tennessee. She said, I'm so proud of you. She didn't see it, but she went home. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love 
by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.